Welcome. It's good to be with you again today and uh, share uh, God's Word with you. Uh, My text this morning comes from the book of Matthew, uh, the 28th chapter, and I'm going to be honing in on three verses that are found at the very end of chapter 28, which is actually the very end of the book of Matthew, uh, verses 18 through 20. This is a portion of Scripture that uh, is, uh, in some Bibles, entitled the Great Commission. It's Jesus' last words to his disciples. And so I want to talk about this idea of community, the idea of being togetherness and oneness that we, that we as people, that we as human beings, as, that we as crea- the creation of God desire uh, and uh, that we need. Um, and as I think about this topic and before I get into it, I, I'm reminded of a story. Stories of a, a farmer who uh, was out driving the fields and his pickup truck, and he was driving the roads around his field, and he had in the front of his pickup t- truck, uh, his co-pilot was a pig. And so he's driving around these roads, and suddenly there are some lights that flash behind him, and he looks in his rearview mirror, and he realizes that it's the local policeman. So he pulls over, and the local policeman walks up to him and says, you know that it's illegal to have a pig in the front seat of your truck. He says, you need to take that pig and go somewhere, either take him back to the barn, or you need to take him somewhere and drop him off, but he can't be riding with you in the front of the truck. So the policeman lets him off with a warning, and a few weeks later, The same policeman pulls the same gentleman over, and sure enough, there's that pig in the front seat of his truck. The officer says, you know, we just had this conversation a few weeks ago, and I told you that you needed to get rid of that pig, that you either needed to take him to the zoo or take him somewhere. And to that, the farmer says, well, I did. I took him to the zoo, and next week we're going to Disney World. Community is something that we all seek oneness, togetherness with one another. And in these days in which we live in this recent past, it seems that that's been an elusive thing for us. So our text, beginning in chapter, in chapter 28, verse 18, Jesus sa- it says this, Jesus came to his disciples and told them, I have given all authority in heaven. I have, given all author- I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all peoples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I like like to believe that Jesus was saying to those disciples, go out and create community. Go out and, and throughout the world and, and reach out to your friends and to your neighbors and to those who, that you come in contact with and share, them the truth of, share with them the truth of the good news. In Rick Warren's book, The Purpose Driven Life, he tells us 
that we were created to experience life together, that life was meant to be shared. And the Bible refers to this as fellowship or community. What is fellowship, community? What, what, what does that mean? Today, most of the biblical meaning has been lost, I believe. Now it usually refers to casual conversation, socializing, eating together, and doing activities together. And don't get me wrong, real community consists of those things and more. It is experiencing life together. And it also includes unselfish loving, honest sharing, practical serving, sacrificial giving, and empathetic loving and comforting along with the other one and others that we find in the New Testament. With these thoughts in mind, there is something that I want us to take hold of up front, something we need to lay hold of from the very start. The church, community, was and is God's design for meeting the need for authentic relationships in our lives. This idea of community is not an afterthought. It's intentional. We learn as we study Jesus' earthly ministry that from the beginning, community was his goal and his plan to change the world. And when he left this world three years later, he didn't leave behind any financial resources for his movement. He didn't leave behind any big infrastructure, no budget, no building, no clout, no connections, any of the things that we think are crucial for any organization or movement. He just left behind his small group, and that was it. Just 11 quite ordinary people and their circle of friends. Now fast forward 2,000 years. Two billion people in this world claim to be Christian because of what happened to them, in them, and through them. As I've already said, Jesus' focus was and intent was to establish community. And throughout his ministry, he modeled and taught on the nature of life in this new kind of community. And on the last night of his life, he prayed for the oneness of his community. And he said that the credibility of his whole ministry rested on their oneness. And before he ascended, his final words to his friends was, Go to the world, create community by making disciples, teaching my commands, and know that I will be with you to the very end of the age. Our desire as a church should be that everyone who enters would feel a part of the community, would find their place, would feel part of something that is fulfilling and lasting. With that being said, I want to share a few thoughts as to why this matters so much. Jesus knew there were certain dynamics that can only take place within the community. A spiritual growth that can only happen by forming circles of intimacy, commitment, and mission together. I want to take a moment and share some of these dynamics because they're important for us as we look to be and make disciples that Jesus envisioned for his community. Number one, Jesus is uniquely present in his community. 
Now, he's always present. We know that. I'm not saying that that's it. But he's uniquely present. He's present in his community in a special way. In Matthew 18, Jesus, speaking to his disciples, said, Wherever two or three are gathered in my name, I am there in the midst of them. I'm reminded of a, of a, of a thought or of a, an illustration. Many of us, I hope, remember what it was like to grill out and barbecue on barbecue briquettes. We would go and buy our bags and we'd pile the briquettes up in the, in the barbecue and we'd pour starter fluid all over them and we'd start them up. We'd get a big flame going and pretty soon the flame would die down and you would see that there were just little white edges all the way around the briquettes. And you'd go away and you'd come back a little bit later and there were more and more white until finally the briquettes all together turned white. But did you ever notice that every once in a while, one of those piles of briquettes would kind of slide off to the side and get off by itself, and it would never get much farther than just a little bit white around the edges. It didn't have the heat. It didn't have the connection with all the other briquettes. Together with Jesus in community, we're like that charcoal. Apart, we cool down really fast. And we will not reach the full potential that we were meant to. The reality is that when we are together, there's kind of a fire. We feed off each other in a positive way, I hope. But we feed off each other. We complement each other. And we help each other reach our full potential. All this and more because Jesus is present in his community. The second point I'd like to make is authentic community desires to connect. This is a deep-seated need in each of us and the key to authentic community. We're relational beings. This is because we were created in the image of God who is deeply relational. And there is a longing in each of us for true, deep relationships, for connectedness. It's hard to imagine people being lonely and needing to feel connected in a world where we're all so busy, where our lives seem to be gone a hundred miles an hour. It was a hot and humid June evening in Miami Beach, Florida. And at the age of 38, Judith Bucknell became homicide number 106 for the year. Judith kept a diary, and had she not kept this diary, perhaps the memory of her would have been buried with her body. In her diary, she wrote these words, where are the men with flowers and champagne and music? Where are the men who will call and ask for a genuine date? Where are the men who would like to share more than my bed and my booze and my food? I would like to have in my life, once before I pass through this life, something more. I want to be a part of a loving relationship. Her desire for meaningful relationship never materialized. She was not a prostitute. She was not on drugs or on welfare. She never went to jail. 
She was not a social outcast. She was respectable. She was a jogger. She hosted parties and wore designer clothes and had an apartment that overlooked the bay. And yet her diary revealed that she was very lonely. She said, I see people together and I'm jealous and I just want to throw up. What about me? What about me? Though surrounded by people, she was on an island. Though she had many acquaintances, she had few friends. Though she had many lovers, she had little love. Who is going to give Judy Buck, who's going to give love to Judy Bucknell? The diary continues. I feel so old, so unloved, so unwanted, abandoned and used up. I want to cry and sleep forever. Judy died physically on June 9th, 9th from wounds of a knife, but her heart had died long before from loneliness. God made us in His image and His likeness, which means that we are intrinsically created to have positive, meaningful, caring, and powerful relationships with one another. And that we are to become one with others. And in doing so, we are imitators of what Jesus desires for each of us. It's through the work of the Holy Spirit that we develop community. As Christ lives in us and we in Him, we become one. And together, some, mystic, some mystical way, members of the body of Christ. Through this unifying connection with each other and oneness in Him, we will cry with the crying, rejoice with the rejoicing, love one another as we enjoy community together. Number three. Community prevents spiritual drift. I put in parentheses in my notes, accountability. Nobody really likes that word anymore. Nobody really likes the idea of being held accountable. Proverbs 27:17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Community provides accountability. And this is not by accident. Again, left on our own, we tend to drift. There was a man fishing one day in the river close to his home, just above the dam. He was so busy catching fish that he was unaware that his boat had begun to drift downstream, dangerously close to where the river spilled over the dam. By the time the man realized his danger, it was too late. The pull of the current was too powerful for him to reverse his direction and soon went over the dam to his death. What made this such a terrible tragedy is that it could have been easily avoided. Had the fisherman given more earnest attention to his surroundings, had there been someone with him to help keep him aware of the danger that he was headed for. The scripture teaches us that one of the greatest dangers we face in the Christian life is not the danger of persecution, but rather the danger of drifting. Drifting away from our Lord and from each other. 
The dynamic of community creates a place where we as normal, everyday people can enjoy a connectedness and therefore earn the right to hold each other accountable. Community tethers us to what we value most. Now this runs counter to one of society's biggest myths, and that is that it's possible to do spirituality by the self-study method. Now, I'm not here to say that we shouldn't study and that we shouldn't spend time alone and that we shouldn't do things to build our personal relationship with Christ. But I am saying that we should not avoid each other. We should not avoid other believers. We should not avoid the community that we've come to be a part of. Most popular sources about spirituality today make it out to be an individualistic journey. I don't need to go to church. I can find God in a forest or on my own or in a river fishing. I don't need community. And unfortunately, this way of thinking removes accountability and connection from the equation. Jesus never said anything about going to church. He called his people to community together to oneness he said let's do life together let's learn together let's pray together let's grow together let's confront each other let's serve each other let's do mission together that's what community does together it keeps us from spiritual drift number four in community we can know the healing power of being known and loved. You see, we can only be loved to the extent that we're known. And we can only be fully loved if we are known. Jesus wants to build a community like that. He wants us to be a part of that. Acts 2.46 says that when they met, it was with sincere hearts. The word sincere contains the idea that when we meet, the masks come off. Not necessarily the corona or COVID-19 masks, but our masks that we create for each other so that other people don't really know who we are. A place when the masks come off, it's an opportunity to build relationships, honest and open relationships. Within the context of this community, we find a place where we can love the way Jesus loved. Matthew 28:20, 20, Jesus told his disciple to teach his commands. John 13:35, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. John 15:12, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. In John fifteen seventeen, this is my command, love each other. You see, the whole credibility of Jesus' ministry and community rested on these truths. It rests on us. It's our responsibility to teach his commands, to love one another, to be open and honest and realistic with each other, to love each other, As Jesus loves us, 
It's not how smart we are. It's not that you're able to build something big and impressive, but that you love one another. Now, I don't want us to think that in order to be a successful church or community, we need to be with people who think and have the same personality as us. That'd be pretty boring, I think. And don't fall into the trap of believing that people would not want to associate with me if they really knew me or knew my past. Look at Jesus' small group. There was Simon. He was a zealot. Matthew was a collaborator. He was a tax collector. He worked with the Romans. James and John sent their mother to Jesus to make a request for them. They were mama's boys. Jesus did not come to create a community with all who had a natural chemistry with each other. What made this community explode was a spirit-filled determination to lavish love on anybody who could possibly stand it. Then it just exploded, starting with his small group. Never underestimate the hunger of a human being to be loved. Just loved. In conclusion, I'd like to share a story that comes from a book called The Whisper Test. And in it, the author says, I grew up knowing I was different. I hated it. I was born with a cleft palate. And when I started school, my classmates made it clear how different I looked to others. A little girl with a misshapen lip, crooked nose, lopsided teeth, and garbled speech. When schoolmates asked what happened to your lip, I'd tell them I'd fallen and cut it on a piece of glass. Somehow it seemed more acceptable to have an accident than to be born different. I was convinced that no one outside my family could love me. It was, however, a teacher in the second grade whom we all adored. Her name was Mrs. Leonard, a sparkling personality. And annually, we had a hearing test. I remember those hearing tests when we lined up in in the hallway at school. And she gave the hearing test to everyone in class, and finally it was my turn. I knew from past years that as we stood against the door and covered one ear, the teacher sitting at her desk would whisper something that we would have to repeat back. Things like, the sky is blue. Or do you have new shoes? I waited for those words that God must have put in her mouth. Those seven words that changed my life. Mrs. Leonard would whisper, I wish you were my little girl. I wish you were mine. I choose you. You see, that's what blew people away about Jesus. And that's what will blow people away if we seek and strive to have community, genuine community. It's what wrecked their world to the extent that it would never be the same again. It was that he went around saying, I choose you. I choose you. I wish you were mine. 
My prayer for the church is that every person here and those who enter this fellowship would hear, I choose you. I desire to become a part, and I desire for you to become a part of this community. And my prayer is that this place would be a place where Jesus is uniquely present and no one stands alone. Where we find connectedness and no one has to hide. Where there's accountability and no one's allowed to drift. And where we can be known and loved for who we really are and for how we were created. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these words, your words, your departing words to your disciple that day when you ascended into heaven and the command that you gave them to make disciples and to baptize them and to teach them about you. And that was the beginning of community and your desire that we as a people would live together, that we would love each other, that we would hold each other accountable, that we would find a connectedness and that when we are together, your presence would be like it is not at any other time. And I ask that every person within reach of my voice would look at their lives, would say, am I doing everything that I can to be a part of community? Am I doing everything that I can love everybody I come in contact with? Am I doing everything I can to hold those I love and care about accountable? We thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of your word. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.